Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. All right, welcome to another episode of Buckeye Talk. I'm your host, Stephen Means, and I'm going solo dolo today. Uh, I'm actually going to steal Doug's idea a little bit here. I know he's been doing the rants pods for the last couple of months here. I'm going to steal that idea, and I'm going to throw a recruiting twist on it. So we're going to do a recruiting rants pod, just kind of get some catching up going on with what's been going on in the world of recruiting for Ohio State. You know, that's pretty in these off-season months here. And, you know, it's kind of started off here. Ohio State, a, a pretty quality week that's been coming up here. You know, top five class, number four class in the country right now behind Georgia, LSU, and Michigan surpassing Notre Dame. And that's thanks to the last two weeks they've gotten, you know, four commitments in the last three weeks. Obviously, it starts with the Armstrong twins, Deontay Armstrong and Devontae Armstrong, the offensive lineman out of Lakewood, Ohio, up in Northeast Ohio, Deontay Armstrong, Number 313 player, the number 25 tackle, and his twin brother, Devontae. The number 354 player, and the number 23 interior offensive lineman. Two guys who, you know, they had been building a relationship with Justin Fry for about a year before they earned an offer back in January. And then obviously, you know, at the end of March there, turned that into a commitment. Those are two guys who are going to be pretty vocal and trying to get other guys on board to be a part of the class. And then that started basically the moment they committed. They came back down the following week after their unofficial visit for another unofficial visit to be here with James Peoples, number 69 player, the number five running back in the country for his unofficial visit, which resulted in him committing on Sunday as he was leaving to head back to Texas, which was a, a pretty big deal. And I'll get into some of the reasons why later on in this pod as we get into some of these rants. And then now I'm, I'm recording this pretty late at night coming off the, the news of Mylon Graham, the five-star wide receiver out of New Haven, Indiana, the number 27 player, the number five wide receiver in the country, joining Jeremiah Smith as five-star recruits in this class, which pushes the class up to eight commits here on April, 5, April 5th as you're lo- listening to this, the number four class in the country. And it, it would seem that Ohio State is about to go on a bit of a surge here. You know, they could get anywhere from you know up to ten to twelve 
people in the class by the end of the spring here with how some things are starting to shake out, especially with wide receiver recruiting and quarterback recruiting. So that's just the start thing, things off. That's where Ohio State is right now, the number four class in the country. And um, yeah, let's get into some rants. And when, when, I, when I made the call out for rants, the way it kind of worked out, shout out to our Texas for this, a lot of stuff fell kind of into four different categories. And it made it really easy to try to organize how I wanted to go about, you know, discussing the recruiting and what's going on and really where things are as we are here in the first week of April, you know, what Ohio State's doing on the recruiting trail, what's happening, what's not happening right now, what maybe is simmering until later on this summer. It kind of boils down to four different places right now. And what are the most pressing things about what's going on with Ohio State recruiting right now? And it's cornerback recruiting and just cornerbacks in general. There's questions about the offensive line, whether that's also the current team or the future of the team. And then there's what I like to call the quote-unquote Michigan issue or you know, lack thereof if you don't think there's an actual issue. But the Michigan problem and then we'll close out with some of that quarterback talk. And a lot of that will obviously be centered around Aaron Nolan, who is you know, the number 84 player, the number eight quarterback in the country, the four-star kid out of Georgia, who is set to make his decision on April 8th to see if Ohio State can make it five commitments in the last two and a half weeks or so. But we'll get to that at the end there. We'll start on the defensive side. And the reason I want to start on the defensive side is right now the questions aren't as looming. And a lot of that has to just do with where Ohio State is right now in terms of how it has to go about building its roster, what this team has looked like, how defensive recruiting has gone since Ryan Day has taken over. We just really haven't seen it really pick up in the spring months. We typically, unless it's like an in-state kid, we usually don't see it until after those June official visits. And now those are starting to pile up. Guys are starting to come along with those uh, official visits. A lot of five stars from a lot around the country are. The big week is starting to look like that June 23rd weekend when you're going to get some of these guys in here. But in that June 16th weekend is also looking pretty big as well. But it's, it's almost like you have to press pause on a lot of these defensive recruiting conversations because of that. Except that one spot. And it's what takes us into our first rant. And it's about the cornerbacks. It's about Tim Walton from the 937. Tim Walton has a real opportunity to make a name for himself here over the next couple of years. He needs to have one of the guys that's already in the already here develop into a first rounder. And the texture points out Denzel Burke could probably be that. But it really starts with him locking down these two high-end in-state guys. If he does both of those things, I think BIA could come could could be back and he could go after anyone in the country moving forward. I love the way they touched on it because it's a great way to get into something that did happen this week. Uh, probably, arguably, the two most important people on Ohio State's recruiting board in 2024 were on campus this week, and their names are Bryce West and Aaron Scott. Bryce West, a Glenville kid out of Cleveland, the number 49 player in the country, the number four cornerback in the country. Aaron Scott, a Springfield kid, the number 71 player in the country, and the number nine cornerback in the country. And both Ohio kids, both came for unofficial visits. The last, on Monday and Tuesday, they were both here. Um, it's not their first time here. It won't be their last. Both of those guys are expected to take official visits in June. Both of those guys camped last year. Both have been high on Ohio State's radar for a long time. 
But I think the reason why they're so important from a recruiting and really just cornerback in general, this is if you've got to make a list of what rooms 2023 are the most important to in terms of what it means for Ohio State's future, I think you can make a case that cornerback could be number one, number two, definitely top three, though. Just because of a lot of things that the Texas Trent Durant, it's it's let's start in the room. I mean, last year was not a good year for that cornerback room, and a lot of that had to do with injuries. We understand that, but also just like the ceiling of talent didn't rise to the occasion in situations when it needed to rise to the occasion, and quite frankly, it hasn't since Jeff Okuda left in 2019, and that's a result of turnover, lack of recruiting high-level players, health, all those things go into it. So if you just start with, I think the best way to sum up what Tim Walton's year can look like and how important it is for Ohio State, it's just saying if everything goes the way that it should for Ohio State when it comes to cornerback, it will go miles for where Ohio State's future is going to be with that room. And it starts with the guys in the room. If Denzel Burke gets back on the trajectory he was on when he was starting as a true freshman and it looked like he might be one of the next, like, just dudes in that room, and he ends up having the type of season where after the year we're going, maybe he's a first-round pick in the 2024 draft. That goes – that's – significant in stamping what maybe you might have already thought about Tim Walton before he got here as a guy who had high regards from people like Jalen Ramsey in the NFL. The same thing can go for Jordan Hancock as a guy. We heard so much good about him going into the 2022 season, and obviously injuries kind of derailed all of that. If he's anything like what we had been hearing going into that season, that's a plus Ohio State. Davis and Igbenosin, bringing a guy like that in who had plenty of experience at, from Ole Miss playing as a true freshman, who has, through his own words, seen a lot of himself in watching Jeff Okuda, and not only just like the up, scale talent that might be there but just the playing style the bigger corner who's physical out the line of scrimmage if he's a hit that's a big deal for Ohio State because that's your top three guys playing at a high level and then you go a guy in like Jair Brown who was basically the defensive version of what Dallin Hayden was for the running back room in terms of he probably got more than maybe even he anybody really expected for him to be doing as a true freshman and he, he thrived when he had his opportunities and that's your fourth best guy in this room and then on top of that, you know, Ryan Turner's developing in the background, but also Tim Walton's first recruiting class was, I would consider that a success, even with losing Kay and Lee to Auburn on signing day. You brought in Jermaine Matthews, who, you know, was the personification of a dog out of day camp last summer and turned that into him being a top 60 recruit by the time he graduated. And also Calvin Simpson Hunt pulling him out of Texas. That's a big deal, but that's the room now. Setting up the room for a future starts with these two guys and locking these two guys from in-state who are top five on the board, maybe one and two, depending on how you want to mix and match things. But Tim Walton can not only solidify himself as, oh, the cornerback room's in good hands right now because of what he's been developing, but also set it up for the future with those two guys. And now it might take some time. For both of those guys, I wouldn't expect either one of them to commit any earlier than the summer and maybe for West a little bit longer with the way that the Glenville guys have often gone with these recruitments, maybe taking their time, sometimes all the way up to those postseason All-American Bowl games is where we see some of those guys commit. But that is priority number one and 1A is making sure that Bryce West and Aaron Scott don't leave the state. But also he's, 
you know, he's already got to commit in the 25 class as well. And Jonte Gilbert out of that, out of Atlanta, Georgia, who is also up here on an official, unofficial visit this weekend. He was here on uh, Tuesday, and he'll be here for the next couple of days as well. And that's a big deal. It'll also be one that he's got to hold on to because, as I mentioned, he's from Georgia, who has had the best defense in college football for the last couple of years. So the question is, can he hold on to there? But doing all this is just a, a simple fact of if, if I said it already, Tim Walton just has to do the things that should happen this year, both in the development of the guys in the room, but also in making sure that West and Scott are signing with the Buckeyes on signing day and that he can hold on to Jonte Gilbert. And I think the cornerback room, really for the first time in quite some time, you can feel very comfortable about where things are headed. The more all three of those guys get on campus, the better. Jonte Gilbert, because he's not from here, but also Bryce West and Aaron Scott, it's like, hey, you're asking guys, can they drive two hours to come to Columbus and come on as many visits as possible? That's, I think, priority number one for Ohio State because so far, the best players in Ohio have stayed home, which can lead us down the road to the Jordan Marshall conversation later on in this in this podcast. But the top players, the top 50 recruits who are from Ohio have basically stayed home in every cycle since Ryan Day's taken over. But never has that maybe been more important than in this cycle because of the position that those two guys play. It's it's probably up there with the C.J. Hicks one, just because you, I mean, the linebacker play was kind of weird, but this one even more so because cornerback play has been weird for even longer. And these are guys that you just need, you need high level cornerbacks. And so it starts with those guys. And then maybe after that, you can get a little freaky and maybe see what else you can pull. You got a guy like Charles Lester, the number 15 player, the number two cornerback out of Florida. Florida, the five-star recruit who was up here again this past weekend for an unofficial visit. That's a big deal that he came up here. Zabian Brown, out of modern day, number 56 player, number five cornerback in the country, was up here for an unofficial visit. That's a big deal as well. Marcellus Williams was supposed to be up here, the number 67 player, the number eight cornerback in the country, but he wasn't able to make that visit. But Tim Walton is starting to make waves on the recruiting trail. And the question is, can we see the payoff? But that payoff has to start with Bryce West and Aaron Scott and then holding on to Jonte Gilbert while also solidifying that the room is headed in the right direction in terms of development with what you have in the room. And I, I'll head into a little bit of the second part here with it, with this second, in a second, this is more of an offensive line thing, but I do think it's, it's probably the next most pressing issue just because of how many classes in a row where offensive, we've reached it here, actually. I mean, we've, Doug, Nathan, and I did a pod two years ago talking about how 2023 could be a super team, and maybe the thing that holds it back is the offensive line because there might be significant holes there if they don't get some hits there. And now we're here. You know, Josh Fry is looking like he's going to be the left tackle, and there's a battle at right tackle between Zim Maholsi and Tegra Shabola, but it's not, you know, it's... <laughs> It's, it might be a hole. We're, we're not all the way sure about what's going on there, which leads us down to we're, we're talking about talent acquisition here. I'll, I'll go on to Nick from Columbus and his rant about the offensive line. If Ohio State can't land an elite player in the back end and that tackle, they need to reevaluate the coaches in those areas and find someone who has a track record of going out and getting guys. We have great minds on defense and offense, but it's time for other coaches to pull their weight so they can lead those freak athletes into positions to make plays. And then this is another one from the 210. 
I'm fully unable to understand why Ohio State is not signing elite offensive linemen. Ignoring the actual line coach for the past couple of years, you would th- think that the organization itself would attack would attract top-tier guys. Ohio State is basically the apple of college football. Why are guys not attracted to that alone? Maybe I'm discrediting the work it takes to recoup, but the logo should do a lot of the work. The best offense in college football should do the rest. What is going on? And the what is going on had a lot of periods in it and explanation points and all the other stuff. I think offensive line got weird with the recruiting for a little bit. And maybe weird isn't the word. More, it got disappointing with the level of effort that was being put into it in the sense that it just the job was not being done. And because the job was not being done, when you do make that switch that Nick out of Columbus was talking about, when you make that switch to Justin Fry, there is still a hole that has to be climbed out of that might not be possible in eight months. And that's how you end up with a 2023 class where Justin Fry did at bare minimum, what he needed to do to make sure that class wasn't a waste by making sure that Luke Montgomery and Joshua Padilla and Austin Sierveld didn't leave home. But when it was time to go get some of the bigger dogs around the country, the guys like Caden Proctor, uh, who is in the Big Ten footprint and for a long time was committed to Iowa. So it was he was cool with saying in the Big Ten footprint. Obviously, Alabama came all long later in the bit and ended up being an Alabama commit, but. He was at least interested in staying close to home at some point in his commitment. And Justin Fry poked at that. But it didn't necessarily get him anywhere. And you can say the same thing about practically everybody else. This is why you ended up with the only national guy being Miles Walker, a guy you know, at 498, number 33 among tackles. I thought it was a decent class for what the situation was for Justin Fry. But I also thought that this 2024 class is where we were going to see whether or not this was going to be a good hire or not. And I think right now, the early returns are good. He's once again done what he needed to do in Ohio by locking up the guys they really wanted in the class. I mentioned Deontay Armstrong and Devontae Armstrong in their commitments. You also got Mark Nave last month as a guy who right now was ranked 549 and number 31 amongst interior offensive linemen. But I do think this is a guy where... Now, not everybody's going to have the jump that Jermaine Matthews had, but that concept of a guy who the world doesn't know about him yet. And then he kind of gets on some bigger schools' radars, but really takes off when these summer months hit. And he's got a chance to get to some of these showcases and get to some of these camps and show his development a little bit. I think this is a guy who might be a top 250 player in the country talent that the world just doesn't know about. And it's going to look end up looking very good for Ohio State and Justin Fry because, it, for starters, it speaks to a little bit of a changing approach with Ohio State football recruiting in terms of how they're approaching some of these in-state guys who aren't the Jack Sawyers, C.J. Hicks, Paris Johnson, Gay Powers, uh, on down, I mean, you name it, Bryce West got type players who are no-brainer gets regardless of where they're from. But these guys where it is a little bit of an evaluation and maybe seeing the hidden talent that most of the country isn't seeing yet and getting in on those kids earlier than you have in years past where maybe you can hold off on the offers and play, maybe slow play it into the summer months and see what they do and see how they develop physically first. They're jump. They're they're going a little earlier with some of these guys as they, 
you know, scale, not scale back nationally. They're still going to try to go get some of the best players in the country, but they're not going to put all their bags and their all their marbles into that basket and maybe try to come around to some of these lower-rated Ohio guys later on in the road anymore. They're going to jump on them earlier. And Mark Nave is proof of somebody where it seems like they're doing that. So I would keep an eye on him throughout the year. So it starts with those three, arm, the two Armstrong twins and Mark Nave. But then you also already got Ian Moore in the class. Right now, according to the composite ranking, the composite has him as an interior offensive lineman, but he's coming here to play tackle. He plays tackle at his high school in, in Indiana. He's going to play tackle here. He's the number 88 player and the number four interior li- offensive lineman, according to the composite, though. But this is a guy who is should be in the running to potentially be the best tackle in the country. And Justin Fries had him locked into the class quite comfortably since October with no signs of him going anywhere. In fact, he was just here the past two weekends on unofficial visits. And like I say, he's from Indiana, so he'll probably be back for plenty more unofficial visits over the next couple of months heading to what will probably be an official visit in June. I think offensive line recruiting is in a solid spot heading into the summer months as we see Justin Fry go more national. And some of the national guys who are on that list – I mean, they've offered 17 offensive linemen so far, nine interior guys and eight tackles. A lot of these guys who are still undecided, which excludes pretty much Cam Pringle and then (laughs) the guys who are committed to Ohio State, have or are planning on taking visits sometime soon. And that starts with the biggest name on the board right now, Brandon Baker out of modern day, the number 36 player and top tackle in the country. He was here a couple of weeks ago with a big West Coast contingent who was here. Jordan Seaton is the number 58 player and the top interior offensive lineman in the country. He's taken visits already before. He's expected to take an official visit this June. I think if you've had some concerns about where offensive line recruiting has been, I think Justin Fry did a good job of making the best of a situation in 2023 and now looks ready to take that next step and do a little bit more than that and get the room back where it needs to be over the next couple cycles. Now, it doesn't do anything for 2023. Maybe they hit the the portal this summer if it doesn't feel like Zem Maholsky or Tegra Shibola is the answer at right tackle the way they maybe thought it would. But the, the, the better recruiting should come. Coming into the forefront. Because I, I do agree with both of these things. I do agree with the fact that you've got an offense that's one of the best in the country for basically the last five or six years. And they're coming into a season where they have the best wide receiver in the country. Maybe the best player in the country. Emeka Buka is another best, one of the best wide receivers. You have the best wide receiver room in the country. A deep running back room. You have good reason to believe that either one of these quarterbacks between Kyle McCord or Devin Brown... We'll get the job done and be at the level they need to be for a championship level. There's no reason to expect anything less from that position at this point at Ohio State. And you're not really sure who's protecting him, so you're not really sure any of that matters. But this has been coming for a while, that we were eventually going to get to a year where the years of lackluster offensive recruiting, offensive line recruiting was going to catch up, and it has. And so Ryan Day made the change he needed to make to bring Justin Fry in here, and it seems like things are headed back in the right direction but you still got to close at the end of the day. But I do like where things are, and I think people should feel a little bit better about where offensive line recruiting is at this point as we head into April, May, June, July, and on sports than maybe we have in years past when it's felt like, listen, unless it's a kid where it's a no-brainer, he's going to be a Buckeye, you're not really sure you're going to get him. And uh, we'll take a break there. We'll come back. When we come back, we'll talk about the, the next section here, which I think is a very interesting conversation, and that's the Michigan issue. And we'll discuss that when we come back here on Buck. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Guy talk. Okay. <laughs> so, as I mentioned up top, Right now, Ohio State has the fourth best cast in the country. And of the three schools ahead of them, if I would have told you that these schools were ahead of Ohio State in the recruiting rankings on April 5th, 2023, it's probably one of them where you'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. And that'd be Georgia, who has the best class in the country. They're the only team in the composite who has a who's over the 200 points threshold with 11 commits. LSU's gotten off to a pretty quality start in this cycle. They've got 12 commits, and they're number two. And then there's Michigan. And I I, want to kind of get into this first Michigan rant because it's going to take us a lot of different places with both the Michigan issue, but also, you know, a little bit of the running back conversation coming off of this James Peoples commitment. And it's from Joseph in Atlanta. I don't want to hear another dang word about Michigan getting a – the running back from Ohio. People were acting like it's some major harbinger or world-shattering problem, but you don't bat a thousand on landing in-state prospects. Nobody does, not even Saban or Georgia. As long as, one, it's not a habit, and two, the Buckeyes are making up for it elsewhere, it's life that a powerhouse program in a neighboring state is going to, that a neighboring, that a neighboring state is going to win a battle for an in-state player you want on an occasion. And this is from the 513. Tony Alford is like a batter who strikes out every time he's at the plate. Unless the game is on the line and he's down on the count. In that case, he hits a home run every time. It's a very stressful thing to watch from a fan's perspective. So I think that's a way to kind of address two different things. And we can even get to some Jaden Davis conversation here when we're talking about the Michigan side of this thing here. Let's start with James Peoples and Jordan Marshall, though, because I think that part is interesting. Michigan has landed three people from the state of Ohio. Four people, excuse me, in this Ohio State, in this 2024 class. They've landed Jordan Marshall, who was the most recent, the number 91 player, the number seven running back in the country. They have landed, excuse me, Luke Hamilton, the number 340 player and the number 21 interior offensive lineman. Ted Hammond. From San Xavier, the number 391 player and the number 40 defensive lineman. And Ben Robach, who is one, who is actually the most recent one. He came the day after Jordan Marshall did. The number 457 player, number 30 set, 31 offensive tackle in the country. Robach is also teammates with the Armstrong Twins over at St. Edwards High School. And I, I get it. Part of recruiting, a lot of it is optics and what it looks like. And two and a half weeks ago... Michigan looked like they were going on a run and Ohio State was maybe a little bit quieter on the recruiting trail and it looks bad from an optic standpoint when your rival who has just beaten you two times in a row comes into your backyard and takes a couple guys especially when some of those guys are maybe a little bit more vocal about their 
them not being the biggest fan of how the relationship with Ohio State was going. I think the first place to start with this is Jordan Marshall is the only one of those four where it's like a clear loss. Michigan just outright beat Ohio State for a guy. And it's a top 100 guy. And it stings a little bit. It does sting. And when that thing sort of happens, you do want to see, you almost want to hold off and see, okay, they didn't get that guy, so who are you going to get instead? Ohio State went and got somebody pretty good instead in James Peoples. And quite frankly, I don't want to, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, he's the best of the two options. I, I think that's, we'll see once they get on the field. They're, they're ranked pretty similar right now. But I do think that Jordan Marshall maybe fits what Michigan is doing. And James Peoples probably fits what Ohio State is doing. Because seeing James Peoples, Peoples in person first at camp last year when he came to a day camp. But then also this past weekend when he was walking around on his unofficial visit. You know, he's pretty you know, side by side with Trayvon Henderson a lot of time. He looks very similar to the last two home runs that, that Tony Offord hit to get into the home run thing. In 2017, Tony Offert went down there and got J.K. Dobbins as a guy who is, you know, about 5'10", 190 pounds, looks like a dude who runs like a bowling ball and is super explosive. And that turned out pretty well for Ohio State. But then he had some lows, obviously. The 2018 class, he had a top 100 guy, but the -the off-the-field problems got in the way, so he also had Master Teague. The 2019 class, you had Steel Chambers, who even at that time, there were people who thought maybe his best position was at linebacker. Well, you also had Marcus Crowley, who obviously injuries have gotten in the way there. And then in the 2020 class, you thought you had B. John Robinson. And then you didn't have B. John Robinson, and he ended up having the career that you thought he was going to have for you at Texas. And you offset it with Mayan Williams, who has turned out to be a very quality running back. But we also have to keep it a buck. That was not plan A. To go flip a kid who is, I think he was a three-star from Iowa State, even if he is in your backyard. That was not plan B. That was, excuse me, that was not plan A. Now, plan B worked out, clearly, but that was not plan A. Plan A was to get a five-star running back out of Arizona and make him the, the guy who who's next after J.K. Dobbins, and that's not what happened here. So what did it do? It put a lot of pressure on that 2021 class for Tony offered to go out there and perform. And to, and to the Texas point, until the, uh, the protection from the 513's point, Tony Offord, he performed. Evan Pryor is a top 100 recruit. Now, injuries have gotten in the way of him performing on the field, but that's a top 100 recruit. That's a big deal. And then you follow it up maybe a week later, I believe, when Travion Henderson, the top running back in the country, commits. And from day one, once again, just like with J.K. Dobbins, he lives up to that hype. Now, injuries have gotten in the way of year two of that, but maybe he can have a bounce back here. But once again, he hit a home run. But then that home run strikeout clock kind of reset itself there. I thought 2022, Dallin Hayden ended up being a pretty good get, given that, I mean, you lost so much depth this year, and he ends up having to play a role that no one was expecting him to play, and he thrived in that role. So, you know, kudos to that, fine. But then you strike out in 2023 with all your options, with plan A, B, C, and D. The goal was to get two running backs in 2023. And at one point, it looked like it was maybe going to be Richard Young and Justice Haynes. And, you know, Mark Fletcher obviously ended up popping first. Young and Haynes ended up being five stars at Alabama, while Mark Fletcher, six months into his commitment, flips to Miami for what a lot of people believe to be NIL reasons. But you went from wanting two to getting none. So what does it do? It puts a lot of pressure on 2024 to come out and hit a home run. And I think James Peoples is a home run, both in talent, but also what it means for how Ohio State goes about finding that second running back in that class. Because Peoples is done. He's committed. 
There were some visits he was expected to take to Oklahoma and Texas over the next couple of months. He's he told all Robbie Fenbrook that he's not going to take those visits, and so he's pretty locked in with his class. And a lot of that is to do with the fact that he is the type of national target that Ohio State loves, and that's these national guys with strong Ohio ties. He's got some family in the Cleveland and the Youngstown area up here, so that makes this feel like home a whole lot easier than it maybe did even with J.K. Dobbins when he committed without ever even visiting out of LaGrange, Texas. But I think he might be a home run get from a talent standpoint as well, but also it gives you flexibility to maybe explore your options a little bit for how you go about finding that second running back. So that's a big deal for Ohio State. But to, to talk about this from the Michigan perspective of losing the in-state kid, and it, we'll probably get into a little bit of a quarterback talk here, and we'll save a little bit of it for the third segment as well, but lose that, but also the Jaden Davis situation of how that has gone over the last two years or so since Jaden Davis originally showed up during that camp, and it felt like he left that camp as like the strong favorite to be Ohio State's 2024 quarterback. It does feel like, from an optic standpoint, Michigan was doing a good job of running the race. I don't think that's the case anymore. And maybe that was always overblown because James Peoples had been trending towards Ohio State for a while. Um, Ohio State and the Jaden Davis conversation, that had not been much of a talking point since Dylan Rayola committed. And even after he decommitted, yes, Brian Day and Corey Dennis did go see him, but not much came out of it after that. And since then, it's just... It seemed like Jaden Davis was headed towards Michigan. But I do think that has been – it matters because Michigan's won two in a row. And I don't want to sit here and try to downplay anything when it comes to the optics of you've lost two in a row against Michigan. And so anything that Michigan does where it seems like they might be having success at the peril of Ohio State, it might get heightened. But I do think it was maybe overblown a little bit when the only real win in all of this, where you're talking about Ohio State head-to-head up against Michigan, the only real loss they took was the Jordan Marshall one. And to the Texas point, they, they offset that pretty quickly here with a guy of equal, maybe even better talent, depending on how you want to look at things. But the Michigan issue is not going to go away. Uh, both of these guys are in the five-star quarterback game now. Jaden Davis is the second one Jim Harbaugh has gotten. Obviously, J.J. McCarthy was also that, which plays into why that has gotten the attention it's gotten because it does feel very similar with what J.J. McCarthy and Kyle McCord were in 21 as five stars where it felt like they picked Kyle McCord over J.J. McCarthy. And McCarthy being the personality he is has bought completely into that and it's like built into his disdain for Ohio State and how he's approached certain things but it's not completely the same JJ Jaden Davis is not the same personality as JJ McCarthy Dylan Rayola is not around anymore and Ohio State's moved on to other options but it's it's going to be something to continue to look into and pay attention to going into these summer months especially when it feels like it's a race that both schools are in but I do think that from Tony Offridge perspective He's done it again in terms of like when his back gets put up against the wall, he always delivers. And maybe that's not the right way to go about it. Or maybe it is for the running back position at Ohio State where we've seen Maurice Claret. We've seen Beanie Wells. We've seen Zeke. We've seen J.K. Dobbins. We've seen Travion Henderson. These guys come in and the moment they get their chance, 
they thrive in it. Maurice Claret was a true freshman when he helped Ohio State win a national championship. Beanie Wells probably could have done more as a true freshman, but Antonio Pittman was still here. I mean, Zeke, <laughs> maybe Zeke could have done more as a true freshman in 2013, but Carlos Hyde was still here. They didn't need him to do that, but they needed Maurice Claret to do it. They needed J.K. Dobbins to do it, and they needed Travion Henderson to do it, and all three times, those guys came in as true freshmen and made immediate big-time impacts. And it's and with that position at running back, it might be a little easier to rely on true freshmen to make that level of an impact. And it also might just be easier to sell because that was part of the pitch with Travion Henderson. Now he came in with Evan Pryor because he was always for <clears throat> never feeling like he had to have the entire, you know, be a bell cow because he all, he's always thought bigger picture. But it's a lot easier to sell a five-star running back on, hey, you can come win a starting spot from day one than trying to sell him on, listen, you might have to sit behind some people in a while. And that's what James Peoples might be walking into here a year from now. If Travion gets back on the track that he was on as a freshman, he might be a three-and-done player. Mayan Williams probably could have flirted with the NFL after this past season, so he might be going after this year. Chip Trainum is it during his final year. So you could lose three running backs and put yourself in a position now where it's, it's James Peoples and Dallin Hayden basically competing to, to be the starting running back here. I, and if you're James Peoples, you probably like those chances of coming in here and playing right away. And that's what they've talked to him about as well. So I think it still worked out for Ohio State in finding a quality guy. Now it's about can they find the other guy while also understanding that you've lost two straight games to Michigan. So the optics battle is going to look the way that it is until further notice. Uh, I touched on some quarterback stuff there. I'll get into more of the quarterback stuff here on the, this third segment here. So let's take this final break here. We'll be back with some quarterback talk, which will probably be the bulk and the most interesting part of this conversation here on Buckeye Talk. Ohio State's looking for a quarterback. There's a chance that may not be true by the time Saturday rolls around here. With Aaron Nolan, as I mentioned before, the number 84 player, the number eight quarterback in the country, is set to make his decision on April 8th, which is this Saturday. Uh, and he, he's been on Ohio State's radar for a while, but he took his first unofficial visit to Columbus over this past weekend, and he walked away with an offer like most of us probably expected that he would. And now we're in the end game where I, I like Ohio State's chances of winning this battle. What does that mean going forward? We'll see. I mean, does he end up signing or not? Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't, because it doesn't seem like he's done taking visits. He left Columbus and, you know, got on a plane and went to Tuscaloosa a couple days later for that visit as well, though Ohio State was well aware that that visit was happening. It didn't blindside anybody. Maybe he takes another couple of visits about after that. But to get into some of these rants about where quarterback play is right now, to first reset how we got here, Ohio State isn't supposed to be recruiting quarterbacks right now for the 2024 class. They thought they had locked in with Dylan Rayola about a year ago, but then about eight months into his commitment, decided that he wanted to reopen things and explore some other options. And you know, th there hasn't been a lot of information really that's come out about how that all played out. And maybe it will one day. But the point of the matter is Dylan Rayola is looking at some other places and Ohio State's moved on to some other options like Aaron Nolan. They've you know, poked that trying to get Julian Sain, the five-star Alabama commit, to try to come up here. And they tried to get him on a visit and that didn't necessarily work. So here is where Ohio State is now, which leads us into an interesting conversation about Ohio State quarterbacks 
and not necessarily their ability to recruit the position. I don't think anybody is worried about whether or not Ohio State's going to find a good quarterback or not and whether or not they're going to develop one. I mean, they're they're in a conversation with Alabama right now in terms of they're about to have their third straight first-round quarterback and the third one might be a, the number one pick in the draft with C.J. Stroud. You had Stroud, you had Justin Fields, you had Dwayne Haskins. Alabama had Tua, they had Mac Jones, and then they also and now they've got Bryce Young, who was also competing to be the number one pick. And to some extent, they also had Jalen Hurts, who he wasn't a first rounder, and obviously he had to go to Oklahoma first before he turned into that second round pick. But he just played in the Super Bowl. And Joe Burrow is, I mean, Ohio State still claims Joe Burrow, and he's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. So. Quarterback is not an issue, but I do think what is an issue is how Ohio State goes about, one, identifying these quarterbacks, and two, you know, locking in on who their quarterback is going to be, but then also holding on to them. That has been a bit of an issue for Ohio State, and that's a problem that predates Ryan Day taking over the program. That goes back to, you know, you talk about in 2016, you know, the guy you thought was going to be a quarterback, Tristan Wallace, ends up going to wide, play wide receiver at Oregon. And so now you've got to go find Dwayne Haskins and flip him late. And it worked out for you. You're talking about the 2018 class, I believe, when, you know, Emory Jones was your quarterback. But then he ends up flipping to Florida. So now you've got to go find Matt, Matt, Matthew Baldwin late and flip him and get him up here late. You're talking about a 2019, which was completely weird, right? Ryan Day takes over the program. He's not really happy with what the room looks like. But you also lose DeJuan Mathis as a recruit in that class. But that's pretty much because it's looking at that point, it's pretty much a foregone conclusion that Justin Fields is transferring here. So it was weird, but you ended up with a great guy. You've got the 2020 class where you thought Jack Miller was your guy, but injuries maybe derailed his career. And so now you've got to go find C.J. Stroud late. 2021 is Kyle McCord's an outlier as the guy who commits early and is just locked into the class with really no drama and helps build the number two recruiting class in the country. And then you follow that up in 2022. You think you've got Quinn Ewers, but then NIL becomes a factor. He reclassifies to 2021. And so now you've got to go back out and find another option and you end up with Devin Brown, which is a quality quarterback, but you had to find him late. And then the 2023 class where they're looking for a different type of quarterback. You thought you found that different type of quarterback in Brock Lynn, but both sides kind of mutually agreed that probably this isn't the right fit for either side. And Brock Lynn ends up, ends up at Auburn, I believe, and you find Lincoln King host late. So now 2024, it's the same thing. You thought you've got Dylan Rayola and you have him for eight months. And now you don't have him. And the, the only benefit there is Dylan Rayola did it so much earlier than you had in other situations that Ohio State's had plenty of time to evaluate and take its time finding another quarterback. But it brings up an interesting point that Ty brings up, and I think it hits it on the nail a little bit. I think some of it does. Recruiting ramp more of a question. It seems that recruiting the top national QBs is backfiring. We not only lost Quinn Ewers and Dylan Rayola, but it cost us Drew Aller and now Jaden Davis, not to mention the time that we could could have been recruiting offensive tackles, which back to the offensive tackles point, which has been an issue, obviously. At what point does Day decide that taking a lower five or four-star quarterback is that is more locked in is better than going for the flashy home run? Living down here in Austin, I get to hear the dissatisfaction they already have with yours, and I'm just wondering when you, when you consider both the re- real loss, Lauren Davis, and the opportunity cost, is the juice really worth the squeeze? I think there are parts in there that I've even asked people in, inside the program and, and brought up this idea, and 
I think some of them have actually agreed with me that maybe going after the shiny guy isn't always worth it. And because it hasn't worked, whether you're talking about Quinn Ewers or Dylan Rayola, I wouldn't say they got burned, but it definitely didn't play out the way you needed to go to. Well, meanwhile, the plan B has worked so far. Justin Fields was not plan B in the grand scheme. He was plan A. He was plan A in Ryan Day's mind once he took over the program and saw the quarterback room. But that's not how this should work. You shouldn't have to go get transfer quarterbacks if you're Ohio State. And it's going to be a while probably till they have to unless something goes crazy wrong. C.J. Stroud was plan B, right? Uh, Kyle McCord, if he wins this job, is going to be the first plan A that Ryan Day's really had in terms of from a recruiting standpoint of locking in on a guy early and just riding that out until he's ready to play. But if Devin Brown wins, or even if Kyle McCord's a one-and-done guy and Devin Brown takes over next year, you're back on that plan B. Lincoln Kingholz is a plan B type of quarterback. And I think the reason why this is an important conversation, it's not always so much about stop making your plan A, the five-star crazy guy, but maybe just maybe reevaluating how you go about recruiting the quarterback position and how you send out those offers. And the reason why I want to map it out that way is there's two very different styles of recruiting. Now, there's a lot of different styles, but two that are very interesting in terms of how we're going to talk about it with Ohio State and how they go about things. And the first part of it is you can be the type of school that will just send out offers. You know, you might look at their offer sheet and there's 1,000 people who have offers. But then it's a situation where how many of those offers are actually committable? How many of those offers where if I'm the number 365 player in the country and I want to commit to school X, could I actually do it right now? Maybe I could, maybe I couldn't. But then you've got other schools where they might only send out 125 offers in a given cycle because they have decided that an offer means something and they want to put as much value on you have an offer from this school as possible. And Ohio State falls in the ladder in terms of how they go about things. They are not going to offer any player that they don't feel like has the upside to eventually be a starter or a big-time contributor to a championship team. They're just not going to do that. So if a kid has an Ohio State offer, it's because they believe in them. Now, credit, it, it, you miss some guys all the time. It doesn't mean it's 100% going to happen. But in the evaluation process, they saw something in the kid that if it's maximized, it can help them win. When you do things that way and it creates that level of value and respect in who you offer out, that means when you offer kids early, it gets people's attention, which can bring us back to the Jaden Davis conversation in the first place. Jaden Davis got an offer, I believe what was before his sophomore year of high school, and he camped at a day camp, earned an offer, came back a couple of weeks later, and also he was at a barbecue that summer. Because he has an Ohio State offer, Ohio State created a five-star quarterback. And I'm not, they're not the only school who operates like this. Clemson kind of operates like this as well. So it's not about praising Ohio State because Ohio State's offer is law. It's about the fact of when you offer a kid that early and that's how you approach things, it gets people's eyes and they go, oh, if Ohio State thinks this highly of him, he must be this. 
And Jaden Davis maybe would still be a five-star today had he not gotten that offer that early and maybe gotten it six months later. Or maybe he's just a top one to recruit. Who knows? That's a whole different conversation. But the point of the matter is that got the ball rolling on is Jaden Davis one of the best quarterbacks in the 2024 class. The same way it would help get the ball rolling on, oh, Ohio State offered Dylan Rayola, but they also like took him 18 months before signing day. Is he the number one player in the country? Is he a perfectly ready quarterback? Should he be all these things? All of these teams come in the factor because so much of these stars and all this stuff is based on what your offer sheet is. So maybe the approach isn't always, it's not so much just don't take a guy that early. It's like maybe you do scale back on how quickly you offer people. Maybe you do take your time and not necessarily be stingy, but go through more of an evaluation process. I was talking with somebody in the program who wouldn't be against letting these kids go through their senior year of high school and seeing what that film is. Now, I don't know if you can be that dramatic with it, with how the quarterback recruiting can be, because it is weird, but not going so early in the process, which takes us back to Aaron Nolan and maybe why they put, went around things the way they did. Now, some of that is he hadn't been up here and they wanted to make sure the, the interest was mutual, but they did take their time. Well, while they were taking their time, they made sure he felt like a priority. And he will even say that himself, even if I didn't have an offer at the time, I still felt like a priority. But they didn't jump the gun. Because when they have jumped the gun, like they did with Dylan Rayola, like they did with Jaden Davis, like they did with Quinn Ewers when they offered him as an eighth grader, it does create this perception. And then when it doesn't work out, you get us, myself and Doug and Nathan talking in the way of like, what's going on here because your plan A isn't working because that's how it's been viewed. When your plan A doesn't work, we have to talk about that. But if the way you go about doing plan A changes, then we'll address it from that standpoint as well. And so I don't, like I said, I don't think quarterback recruiting is a problem. I don't think that it's the end all be all that they keep missing out on these, I guess, can't miss prospects, especially since so far the can't miss prospect hasn't really come back to bite them in the butt. This, the way it, you think it would, a, a prime example of another one of these guys, just to make my point a little bit more, with Arch Manning. They didn't really get in the Arch Manning race. So you didn't, at least from Cleveland.com, you didn't see a lot of articles being written or a lot of comments being said of why isn't Ohio State in on Arch Manning? Because they didn't get in the race in the first place. But when you get into the race with some of these guys, it can create the optics game once again of why are you not doing enough? To, you did enough to get them here. Why didn't you do enough to keep them here? Whether it means get him here literally like in the program like you did with Quinn Ewers or get him into a class but not get him the signing day the way it was with Dylan Rayola. And so maybe that does change the way they go about things. That It might be a good I To throw my own rant here, I think it would be a good idea to, I wouldn't necessarily say slow play, but to be a little bit more not willing to just jump the gun every single time and see how things play out here because that approach of taking your time and not feeling like you've got to get a guy in the class as early as possible to help build the class has continued to work for Ohio State. And then I'll close out with a, a couple more rants. Here's, here's one about, it's actually about Aaron Nolan specifically from Cullen in Boston. This kid Aaron Nolan sounds like a left-handed C.J. Stroud. Mine is his best trait and he's a late riser, etc. I wouldn't call – he's not necessarily a late riser. Um, he's been kind of steadily moving his way up over the last couple of months here. I think CJ was more of a late riser because nobody really knew who he was to that extent until July when he went to the 11 camp. But the traits are there. They're both – I texted this to our texters on Saturday when I saw him in person. 
he looks like what CJ Stroud looked like when he first got here. You know, tall, long, lanky, skinny, looked like he'd never been in a weight room before in his life. But then you turn on the film and it starts popping out to you. So I do think that, I mean, Ryan, you just got a CJ Stroud. Why not bring in the left-handed version of him in there as well? I do think that's a really good comparison for what we're talking about with Aaron Nolan because there are a lot of similarities. Even not, but not just in their games, but in their demeanors and getting a chance to know Aaron Nolan, uh, getting a chance to talk with him. Obviously, getting a chance to you know know CJ Stroud over the last couple of years. Both very confident people, both very knowledgeable. Both have a similar approach to football, where they want to use their arm, they want to get it out to their weapons. They will run if they want to, but it's not like they're it's not their strength. It's not the first thing they're trying to do. They will if they have to, but they'd rather sit back in the pocket and throw it. You know the way that you know. Other weapons around the country talk so highly about them. I mean, Julian Fleming and G. Scott and Jackson Smith the Jigwa were calling up Ryan Day to tell him they need to offer this kid, they need to offer this kid, and they've spoken so highly about him ever since. You're seeing the same thing here in his 24 class and the way that Jeremiah Smith has been very vocal, the top wide receiver in the country that some people are comparing to Julio Jones, has been very vocal about wanting to play with Aaron Nolan. And right now they do play with each other on a seven-on-seven seven team, and you know, as of, you know, Tuesday night when Marlon Graham committed, all the commits, the next thing is, you know, hey, Darren Nolan, you're up next. And so there are a lot of similarities between those two. And I'm glad you made that comparison because that's the first thing I thought about when I did see him in person and I got a chance to watch his film. I think I'll wrap it up there. There was some other stuff in here, but I think, I mean, our Texans are awesome. So a lot of the rants end up being things that should probably be their own pods. Um, this was fun uh, doing a pie by yourself. I don't know how Doug does it. So respect to him. I hope you guys really enjoyed this. I hope there, you learned some stuff. Hope you got a lot of information, but uh, just to kind of wrap some things up here, Aaron Nola would seem like he's next up in terms of scheduled potential additions to the class. We don't do the, the crystal balls and the, the predictions here, but if I did, I would probably put one in pro Ohio state. I think they did what was necessary this past weekend by offering him and putting him in a position where it feels like this is going to be a win. Now, does it end up being a win by signing day? That's always going to be a question because um, whether it's because he might maybe finds a better fit or Ohio State finds a better fit, but I do like where things are headed right now with that recruitment. And if that happens, you know, Ohio State will probably continue to move up the recruiting rankings in the cycle. But the 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 good news is if you're a fan, the 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 quiet low period of we're not really nothing's really happening with Ohio State recruiting is over with a visits are in full swing with these unofficials the officials will be this summer in June we'll get the day camps popping as well uh, follow the text for all that stuff I've been texting stuff all week about guys who have been on visits and who's been here and who we've been talking to but I kind of said this up front I, Ohio State's on a bit of a surge right now here and they might get up to maybe 10 or 12 guys by the time it's done, which would be a really solid number to get into as you get into the spring because most of that will probably be offensive. And then, you know, I don't want to say switch gears, but then we can start to maybe start to put our eyes a little bit more on some of these defensive guys, whether it be a defensive line or linebacker or in the secondary to see if they can, you know, start to get the ball rolling there as well. So, um, yeah, like I said, this was fun, man. Uh, it, like if I would text, and it, 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 we're we're hearing it now. We're in the off season. We're halfway through spring football, and we're halfway to the point where recruiting becomes the the single most important thing because that's the only thing going on. So you know, sign up for the text and continue to listen on, man. And I'm Stephen Means, and that was Buckeye Talk.